0: From our changing bodies, to our relationships, to dealing with menopause and ageing at work and in society, my mission is to help you to tap into our collective wisdom so you can emerge more powerful, wiser, not just older, thriving and ready to embrace wholeheartedly the next chapter in your life. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, and I'm so delighted that we're talking sort of post-menopause here. You know, as a post-menopausal woman myself, I can bang on about how great it can be once we accept and move forward in this new stage of our life. But it's even better when my guests can also come on and share their stories, and their experiences. So today I'm delighted to invite onto the show... Sally Edwards. She is an author, a podcaster, a teacher, and a business owner. And she has written this book called Conversations with Myself. But more importantly, she's also about sharing her journey of what she calls changing lanes. Welcome to the show, Sally.
1: Thank you, Clarissa. Yes, changing lanes. I think it for me, it was about recognising that I'd made a step from one state to another, from being premenopausal, menopausal, and then suddenly, I thought, "Well, I'm not in any of those states anymore. I'm in this new place, postmenopause. I'm still the same person, but in also lots of ways somehow not. And it had gone beyond not producing eggs anymore, and everything that 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 encapsulated. Me allowing my hair to grow out and be grey, not colouring it anymore. Me choosing to wear different colour clothes that were actually more colourful because the grey hair gave me chance to wear different colours. And suddenly I noticed that a new kind of me was emerging.
0: I think that's wonderful. And there are probably a lot of women listening to this podcast who can relate to this this shift of taking on a new persona while still being yourself isn't that what it it feels like yeah
1: it for me it feels like daring and th- there's a part of me now dares so much more because i don't care what people think anymore i don't care so much if people approve or like or even understand so i therefore i also dare so much more like even writing my book Finally, after years and years of trying and and having all sorts of half finished books on my on my hard drive, now I'm ready to do it because I don't even care if people like it or don't like it or don't read. I've done it for myself, and there's something now about doing things for myself and not wanting the outside approval.
0: I can totally relate to that, and I think this being your own person is. A really interesting phenomenon of the post menopause in a very different way. As you said, you're not seeking outside approval. How did that start to manifest itself for you initially?
1: I think it was slow. And I had, it was it, a lot of this has been about letting go of one side and accepting another, but also being prepared in the middle to be in a place where I was almost invisible. Invisible to other people because I wasn't sexually available. I wasn't producing eggs. I wasn't going to be a mother. So there was the invisibility from that side. And because I hadn't gone through the process, I wasn't visible on the other side yet either. So I I spent quite a long time in this kind of grey zone in the middle where I was still trying to find a way through. And for me, being in that invisible zone was really necessary because then it gave when I came out I could see where I'd been for me it was trial and error try things didn't work then try something else and I had no idea that when I came out of the process I would end up being as confident and as sure and as determined as I am I had no idea that this was waiting on the other side <laughs> I wish I had a known
0: I wish I think that's and that's a good message that I I think more and more women who are ourselves like ourselves post menopausal are saying, if you only knew how good it felt, you would go through the process maybe differently. And I don't know about you, Sally, but I see a lot of women who are really fighting this invisible stage, which I sometimes call the no man's land. You have to sort of be a bit lost almost.
1: Yes. Absolutely. And I think what else, what other models do we have? Because even if you look, I don't know, someone like Madonna, who's like 62, she must be postmenopausal. Her boyfriend is about 12. Madonna looks like she's about 28, you know, and, and all the people, you know, the, the, what we see outside in the world of postmenopause women doesn't match up, I think, with many women's experiences.
0: Indeed, it doesn't match up with it because we know there is a huge change. Yes, and, and you could quote Madonna, you could quote J-Lo and a whole host of celebrities who have spent far more money than most of us would ever earn in a lifetime <laughs> looking like that. And that sets up for us, and, and I think more so in a visual age where Instagram is so huge, a lot of pressure.
1: Got gotcha. yeah. Yeah. If I'm gonna say I hate anything about postmenopause, it's having dry skin. You know, and if and if you look at all of this, the visual stuff we're getting, these women's skin still looks like they're pre-menopause. And I'm looking at it and going, what on earth is happening with these women? And there is that discord between the images we get given, as you know, and like even face creams, you know, face creams for menopause and women, they're advertised by women who don't look like they've got a wrinkle or a dry skin, bit of skin on their body. But, you know, it doesn't help. I think the images, the outside images, don't make it easier to go through the no man's land. Because you think when you get to the other side, you, you're you still going to look the same as you did before. And you don't.
0: But you look different. You, you're a different kind of beauty. An internal beauty, I feel. Absolutely. There's a sort of,
1: I think there's a, in me, there's a sort of, shining from the inside and that shining comes from a strength a stability a balance a knowing a self-knowing it comes from surviving from you know all sorts of really positive life experiences and i and i i can look where i am now and think gosh look at who i've become look at the strength in me and that's the beauty that shines. And I think so many women have these sorts of experiences and stories. Just just getting through menopause is a huge strength, surviving experience.
0: Yes, I think that that strength is a key word. I would agree with you at this time because we're going through more than just our physiological change. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yes.
1: I, I mean, I remember when I read. Really, I when, when I realized that I wasn't going to get any more periods. And even though I was, gosh, I think I was like 52 or something. It, there was still that, that like, oh, I mean, I wasn't going to have any more babies. I I didn't want any more children. But still, it was like, oh my, it's gone. The morning fall, things that couldn't be anymore. And as part of me that had existed as a mother or a potential mother, always
0: a possibility. There were so many strands of letting go. And that you've touched on one important point, there is mourning, there is grief for who we have been. And I think if we, and I love your thought on this, if we try to cover that up or push that down, it turns back on us yeah
1: And we have to allow i think if we don't really mourn and feel that and sit with it then it's actually we're missing a part of the process and we and and i think it's it's that's what when when you're fighting against like 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 you said you're fighting against the process and we can't stop this process it, you know even the most rich people in the world at some point it's going to stop you know no pills or medicine or whatever
0: is going to keep them endlessly – well, they can't be, surely (laughs) – endlessly producing eggs. No, and they're not. I mean, they're doing a lot of other things to stay there. But I think you're right. It's this going through the process. And Sally, for you, what were some of the steps that you took, consciously or unconsciously, in this letting go period?
1: Oh, certainly. Letting go of the image of mother or potential mother. Allowing that, So, okay, you know, I'm, I'm never going to have any more babies. But you know, but alongside that is then, as my own children get older, looking towards freedom, freedom, you know, as as because they they're, they're going to leave home soon. So it became a swing in and swing out, let go of one to get another, and that that it became this yeah, the swinging in, in and out, let one, one goes out, one comes in. So the sort of child bearing years go but the freedom comes the shiny smooth skin goes but confidence comes not sleeping so much but having more time to be awake and do more things (laughs) you know the the in and out you know this this, yeah and I think I became more aware of that that in and out what leaves and what comes
0: Yes and often i think that's what in in positive psychology we call doors closing doors opening kind of exercises whether we do that consciously or not that's part of this interesting process not to see that everything is closed yeah
1: and because I, I think if you stay in the in the realm of everything's closed then you box yourself in a pretty dark room and and i think it's that's when you you stay in the fight The fight against it, the anger with it, and I suspect then symptoms and the experiences can get much, much more difficult if you're fighting against it.
0: Yes, and and I think also that we then get into some narratives that are I'm going to treat this, I'm going to rail against the system, and there's a need for some of those narratives. That's without doubt, but. We also don't make that transition in as painless, and it's not a pain, uh, without pain to this other side that you talk about, which is just fabulous.
1: And I wonder sometimes if I I remember a friend of mine and she fought it and she fought it and she struggled with HRT and trying different treatments. And she really epitomized for me someone who was fighting it. And maybe having seen her experience, it was why I thought to myself, I'm not going to fight it, you know, because it brought so much struggle for her. And eventually she had to accept it because, you know, it's a process and you can't hold back the tide. But it put her in a really difficult situation, physically, emotionally. She got so stuck. It was good for me to see that experience because it made me say, okay, I'm just going to let go and let go and and allow.
0: Yes, allow. Allowing is a better word than accepting in some ways because we are giving permission for this change to happen. Yes one of the things you talked about at the start was being invisible. And that, that's a very interesting concept. And I'd love to explore that more, Sully, about what that really is. I mean, you described it as being invisible to the outside world or and other aspects.
1: Both. I mean, certainly my experience first was being invisible to the outside world, particularly once I let my hair go grey. It was like, suddenly, people had given me the status of being a granny. And actually, standing in shots and not being served was like, wow, okay, they're just not seeing me. And if I ever wanted to fight anything, it
0: was that, possibly, the not being seen in shots. And that's interesting. Isn't that interesting that suddenly you're not seen? and And yet you live in quite a progressive European country because you live in the Netherlands, don't you?
1: Yeah and 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 actually Dutch women are very pragmatic. You know, they're on their bikes, you know, they they they're very robust. So they're not ones for primping and preening and layers of makeup and 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 you know all of this stuff. But still the experience of particularly from younger people, yeah, that, that, that they would serve someone behind me or next to me if I'm standing at a at a counter. I think yeah, that that was quite shocking. But then with that invisibility, comes the possibility to be quite subversive. I love that. <laughs> so if if they're not seeing you, then then so, then it doesn't really matter. And um, so that, that that's the upside of it. And uh, there is something about the unexpectedness of the subversive grey-haired woman. And I suppose, you know, that, that I quite like that. They don't expect me to swear or swear as badly as I do. <laughs>
0: (laughs) I love, yes, I think they expect you suddenly to become whatever their vision of a granny is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, mild,
1: mild mild-mannered, certainly not, you know, um, yeah, to to have like a very vanilla-y type sense of humour or whatever. And then, yeah, and I quite enjoy that, that, and and that's where I feel a sense of power, to, to to be subversive in that way, to subvert their view of what they think I am, and then go kapow. There's something else. And then, like, there's like a sort of veil. I whip off a veil, then they get a glimpse of something underneath. And you can see them go, Oh, you know, okay. Okay. I didn't expect that. And I quite like that.
0: I love it. And I think you can be subversive, as you said, suddenly you wear bright colours. And that's part of not being vanilla or or, or the sort of grey, beige, or whatever it is people sink into. I mean, here living in Sweden, everybody's obsessed about the colours navy and black and grey. So I'm deliberately have a red coat. (laughs)
1: Yes, exactly. Now, I've just about wore this winter an amazing array of tights, which are pink, orange, yellow, you know, every color apart from black or gray, you know, and that in itself feels subversive. There's this flash of color and I wouldn't have dared, I wouldn't have worn that before. Why now? you know, because I can. I, I wouldn't. I've, I've had black tights for years. <laughs> well, haven't we all? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, 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 yeah, there's this subversiveness, this, this, I don't care anymore. I don't care. I don't care what people think or what their opinion is, or I don't need them to approve. So here it is. Here I am. Gray hair, pink tights, whatever.
0: Yes. And so, so the invisibility in some ways creates more visibility.
1: For myself, and that's the balance, and that's the in-out. You know, so I'm invisible to the outside, but become clearer and clearer to myself. Where are my boundaries? What do I like? What do I dislike? And how, and I think the greatest joy, post menopause, is finding my voice, my actual voice, to say. Yes, no, like this, don't like this, do this, don't do this. So invisible to the
0: outside, but more and more visible to myself. I love that definition. And I think you've touched on an important aspect there, which is boundaries. And we sometimes as younger women have less boundaries because we're so caught up in roles like mothering and caring for others.
1: Yeah, and pleasing. You know, I mean, I was having a conversation with my daughter the other day, because my son is really great at saying, mum, can you drive me, take me, do pick up, whatever, whatever. And he's asking all the time. And I said to my daughter, how is it that you don't ask as much? And she like looked at me and blinked. And I said, you know, I said is, is it because it's you don't dare or you don't think girls should? And we, we had a very interesting conversation about it. And it did come up with actually, you know, she she didn't think she should. And, I, and it created for me, well, why do boys think they can? And I don't think it's only in my house that this happens. But girls kind of somehow take the role of not asking, not having needs, not
0: knowing how to vocalise them. I think that's absolutely true. And you said boys do. And I think that that, as we hear more and more, is in the workplace, for example, why women don't go for jobs because they don't think that they've got all the boxes, ticks, and men rock up with 20% of the skills going, yeah, I can do this, I need this job, and they get taken on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's the, there is something, I mean, I, I'm glad actually that I'm postmenopausal while my daughter is still kind of, she's only 17, because what I can bring to her as a postmenopausal mum is actually really important stuff. Yes. About us,
0: you know, about boundaries, about asking, yes.
1: All sorts of things. Stand up, speak, what do you want, what do you don't want, all sorts of things that I can bring at this stage of my life that I couldn't have done even five, six, seven years ago.
0: Absolutely. This sort of sense that of speaking up, I mean, how did it come through in you, apart from you know, obviously swearing a bit more, but it, what were some of the visible signs to you that you were speaking up?
1: I, a year ago, I started my blog and my website, and it was a really conscious movement to showing my words, visibly on the paper, but also, you know, through through the ear, so, so speaking. And it the more I fed my website, the more it became clearer and clearer and clearer that I was finding my voice. Yeah. So in the end, I actually called my podcast, you know, Conversations with Myself because it became that i was learning through these conversations i was having literally you know out on on my walk And, and i go well sally this happened and that happened and what did you learn literal conversations with myself but also conversations with other people who would listen or i would listen to them so this whole thing about the conversation became really important so I, that's that's how I started. So it's been quite recent, although I've been tri- writing for a long time. I didn't dare to put it out out in the world, and this post menopausal me dared. You know, finally she got the she got the website done. She I got the website done. I got somebody running for it, running it
0: for me, and I'm doing it. I think that is. A story that we can relate to, we've sat here, or so many of us, not daring, not saying, this is me, this is what's important for me. And instead, we've been holding on. And I think that when we meet women who've done, there's a lot of resentment because we've allowed other people close to us, often if we have a partner and children to be part of that going forward in their lives, where we've stayed in the background.
1: But there are so many threads to that, aren't there? How family structures aren't always equally balanced in terms of the roles, and how many family structures assume that the mother is going to take the dominant caring role and the dominant remembering all of the social, emotional parts of the family life. And I think that it's really hard to do that. And work and do all the rest of the things as well. Mothering is really a full-time job. But somehow the assumption is we're going to do it very part-time and still have a life on top as well. If we don't dare to speak, you know, I think it's because, you know, there is so much else that's pulling our attention.
0: Yes. And, and you're right. This is a sort of such a big shift, as you said. This is the let it, letting go and letting in. And our voices definitely become part of that. And I was amazed. I went on a podcast training and how many of the people that joined me and were the most proactive were people in their 70s and 80s. It was fabulous. They all wanted to be podcast guests and share their wisdom.
1: I think this, where I'm at now, is just the beginning. And I I have the, the immense privilege to have some women in my network who are in their 70s. And I look at them with their wisdom and power and strength. And I'm just a baby in comparison. So I am only just starting this walk towards myself in this new lane. I think there's a choice that I could take. I could either sit in this lane and wait for death to come, or in the next years of my life, I could make it an absolutely fantastic phase of life. And be totally productive, creative, powerful, innovative, energetic, and really, really have a great time. And I'm glad I'm taking that route. I'm glad I'm taking the route of energy and life.
0: Yes. I think that plays into the work of the anthropologist Margaret Mead when she said, you know, watch out for women with what she called PMZ, post-menopausal zest. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, because, because I, uh, do I have more energy? I mean, I I don't have energy in the way that I did when I was 21. When, you know, I would work all day and go out and dance all night, get home at two o'clock, sleep four hours and, and repeat for days and days on end. I couldn't do that now. But I have a different sort of energy. It's more of a kind of low burning energy that sustains for longer. And I think the energy of my youth was more like a firework, flash, bang, wallop, big sort of lights, but then it didn't hang around for long. <laughs> Whereas the energy I have now feels that it can take me for a longer a longer journey, if you like.
0: I think that is such a great metaphor. You know, you can think of that sort of slow-burning fire, can't you? And, that, and as you said, this crash-bang fire fireworks of youth, you're very bright and sparkly. And it's all over very quickly. <laughs> very beautiful, <laughs> don't they
1: say that something like you know, youth is wasted on the young? And I, I can see that with the my my kids or the young their young friends. Yeah, there there is with youth they have the beauty, but it's beauty and
0: wisdom. I think going together is where there's power, immense power, immense power. And I think we see that when we as a society, get past the outer visual. And then that's what's holding a lot of discussions and even the views of ageing is that we're obsessed with the outer views. So we've been trained into a certain way about what what youth and ageing are about. Yeah,
1: Yeah, or even what beauty is. I and mean, if we're going to talk sort of post-menopause, there's another idea of beauty, I mean, physical things, You my hair is more wiry. You know, I used to have smooth, glossy hair. And now I look like, I don't know, a mad sheep most of the time. And your eyes, so you need glasses. So now I have m- m- mad sheep hair, and two pairs of spectacles, one for far and one for near, because I can't cope with contact lenses, you know. <laughs> so all of these weird physical things go on. But it, I'm I'm no less fantastic than someone who's 20 you know actually yeah differently fantastic
0: it's differently fantastic and i think as you said you know suddenly no we don't have hair that does what it once did it well it just doesn't so so that's the first thing to accept and we have drier skin so we need to make different adaptions and we need glasses. I mean, there's no denying. I mean, you know, contact lenses for me are a thing of the past too because my eyes get very dry. And so I'm thinking, why? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so I'm not suffering anymore. I've just given in to the fact that I can't see and I've never been able to see. I, you know, and I carried in my head, you'll laugh about this one, that boys don't make passes at girls who wear glasses. Oh dear, I carried that in my head. And, and even my mother told a story about a teacher she had, and when the teacher was getting married, she said, "Well, she can't get married. She wears glasses." So we've ca- <laughs> when she was a little girl, you know. But there's the sort of things we carried around that somehow glasses were unattractive, and we wore then contact lenses. But suddenly, as we reach this age, we have no choice. So, but we have a choice in the kind of glasses we wear. Yes, yeah.
1: I think also there was something about glasses that was saying that you you were clever. And there's also the story. That clever girls, you know, don't get the boy kind of thing. Or, you know, the the, the, the society, society doesn't like clever girls. And if you wore glasses, you were, you were going to look intellectual. And I'm, one of the things I'm embracing more now is my intelligence. And I don't, and I now, post menopause, I realize how much of my life before I told, I'd invented a me that was kind of. Covering up my actual intelligence and the me that I invented was one that was a bit supposedly forgetful and supposedly a bit kind of bumbly, all to cover up the fact that I'm actually very, very, very clever.
0: Exactly, and I think so. Yeah, not owning, not owning your intellectual capabilities, your intelligence, and again, I think playing into a narrative in our society that you know slightly stupid girls are safe where men are concerned
1: yeah yeah all sorts of it was oh it was it was i don't know how often i'd let myself be you know have people explain stuff you know the whole so much so much and now i just don't don't allow it i don't if i don't if i don't need something to be explained i just say i've got it you don't need to tell me and i claim my intelligence i claim my iq yes i claim it And that has been really huge. I love it. And that helps me also feel more of me. So it's also part of the process is claiming all the parts that I had dropped or
0: avoided or ignored before. So I then become more whole. And that is the key, isn't it, to conscious aging? It's to become, to be aware and to become more whole. Yes. I
1: mean, I'd started the process of consciousness before the menopause, But there's something about getting in this new lane where I'm not bogged down by the hormonal ups and downs that helps me have more clarity. I'm so much clearer, despite four pairs of glasses on my head sometimes, my vision is clearer.
0: You know, I don't need my actual eyes to see, but somehow I'm clearer. And when you say that, I'm thinking that's like a knowing, isn't it? A deep inner, inner voice, inner knowing. Yeah. But also there's like, I have a
1: much better connection with my intuition now, talking about knowing, and I can hear it and act on it and listen to it in a way that was not accessible to me before. And I do think it's got something to do
0: with being older. Yes. Do you think there's a link to having less fear or less care for others that's part of that, allowing the intuition to come through and acting on it? I think there's all, I mean, I'm more patient, so I probably give it more time.
1: There's, I think there's loads of things. I'm more patient. I've been kind of practicing with it. So it's not something that just popped up in, in like overnight. I don't know what makes the difference. Maybe my life is in some respects quieter because I'm not running around after small children. You know, I, I think having a quieter life helps to hear it. I thought it would come in with a brass band intuition. I thought it would be like, dum, da, dum, dum dum here we are, here's your message. And it's not like that. Mine isn't anyway. It's really quiet and really subtle. And I've had to learn that subtlety. And maybe that's the thing that now I'm older, it's another one of those moving in and moving out. Because it's it's I'm simultaneously more colorful, but also more subtle. I've learned the subtlety of not always saying everything that I see. I've learned that sometimes I have a really important piece of wisdom, but it's not the moment to tell it, so I don't. So that's some of the things that I've learned now, yeah, are connected to
0: wisdom and intuition, but also learning when to say it. Yes, and that brings me to think of, you know, some work that I'm reading right now with um, an, it's an old book, by Angela Arion, who's you know a very well-known anthropologist, who's sadly no longer with us. And she talks a lot about this polarity or duality of this age in life. Where well, we do hold, as you say, yes, you're more visible in some ways and out there and bright, but there's also this subtlety of being, holding back sometimes because it's not the right time. Well,
1: because I've gotten older, probably in my youth, I, I, I just blurted out everything that ever crossed my brain you know <laughs> and it was probably a complete nuisance because of it and there's a part of me where I've learned the pause button now so it comes in and I pause and I look and I think and I evaluate should I say this and the wisdom comes in no Sally not now no this is not the right time this is then you know whatever and I don't and and it's that's really amazing just for me to have learned that skill of finding the pause button <laughs> And I think there's a wisdom in that. I think I think it's important.
0: Yes, and I think many of us can relate that we have, as you've done, blurted things out when we were younger. We are unsubtle at times. Um, we are also rushing, doing everything, as you also said. When maybe pausing and doing things in in a stepwise way is things that we can we have to learn. And we get, as you said, that extra small voice telling us. Okay, this now, not this now. Hold that, go with that, and it, and it's as you say, it's not a brass band. We don't suddenly become go on some course and become intuitive overnight. It's a subtle unfolding wisdom.
1: Yes, and I think it's always there. And I think the problem, the sad thing is, is that we actually forget to hear it. I think it's always there, and I think children are, are still very tuned in, but the process of schooling and life kind of tunes us out. And maybe it's it's one of those like waves, you know, we're small and we're connected and then we get unconnected. And, and then, you know, as we're getting towards the end of the wave, we, we connect again. Maybe it's something like that. Not for everyone. I think some people always stay connected. But for me, the
0: process was connect, disconnect, connect. And I can personally relate to that. I can personally relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. It was connect, disconnect. And then Somewhere towards the end of menopause, it was connect again.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I see that with a lot of my uh, contemporaries, that same sort of flow. I think it makes sense. I, I think it's incredibly hard to stay connected to intuition amidst the chaos of small children and family life. You know, I think it would take an immense focus. <laughs> and I, I don't know what you'd have to do to still hear intuition. And be running around after small children and, and have a lot of
0: help, <laughs> <laughs> so that you would have forced, forced still time. And that sounds like the advice that a million life coaches give women. And then you think, "Well, come and stand in my life right now," because that doesn't actually work. But there will be a time when it does.
1: Yes, and and that's part of the river, the flow, the, the wave, whatever you want to call it. You know, there when, when kids are small, it's it's tough, and it's you're busy. I think when they go up to, up to high school, life smooths out a bit, you know, because they just need less of you. I think when they get up to like the late, like mine are 17, you know, they need me to drive them. My time is sucked out with driving them everywhere because they can't yet drive themselves, but they need to do stuff and go to places. So my time is spent differently. But soon it'll be different again when they go.
0: And go they will and should. Absolutely.
1: And that's the wave. If you talk, you know, this whole thing is about waves of life, whether or not it's menopause or mothering or family life, you know, none of it stays the same.
0: No. And even as we are in this now more conscious aging space, that in itself will have a wave.
1: Yeah. I mean, I hope we go to a place in the future where postmenopausal women are more visible and celebrated and spoken about. You know, how often do we hear these sorts of conversations,
0: how much is written about us postmenopausal women? Not enough. I think there's a lot of conversation right now about menopause, which needs to come out. It needs to come out almost in order for us to have the postmenopausal discussion. You know, we, have to, we have to ride that wave too. But I think that I hope as you do, I think more I hope than I think I hope that as we move through this we can't continually only talk about our problems but we can turn to a much greater conversation about women on the other side that is as you said I think much more of a blended conversation it's not all about being out there invisible and seen it's this it's this blend of visible and invisible loud and subtle and the use of our intuition that is the power of being a post-menopausal woman.
1: Absolutely. I suppose I feel like, if I wanted to give another metaphor, it's been like pre-menopause. I've had in my orchestra, like maybe a drum and a trumpet and a triangle. And then post-menopause, I've become an orchestra with all of the subtlety and breadth of that. Yeah, that's what I feel like, that I've become an orchestra. That's
0: fabulous. If you had some tips or some advice for women who are about to enter this post-menopausal phase, what would they be? Well, to
1: actually just keep going with the process because it will get better. You know, it it took me a while to realize that that I'd changed lanes, that I actually wasn't more in the menopause or, you know, that I was actually out. And I think it's really important to consciously realize you're out and through it. And I, and I remember going out for lunch with some friends to celebrate. And I found it really important to have that ritual to recognize and celebrate that I was actually postmenopausal and I was in this new lane. And then I would, ex- I, I would advise people, women, to explore the question, who am I? Who am I in this new lane? And how do I want to bring myself to the world in this part of my life?
0: I love those. I really love those. And and you've touched on important things: celebration, internal inquiry, and really knowing that it it isn't some sort of magical process, but it's this you know this this unfolding. It's not like pam pam. It's the, the one day and the next. It really is a process in its own right. Yeah, Sully, I'd love to thank you for coming on the show and sharing your thoughts, your conversations, your own journey with such candid, open style.
1: Thank you. It's been an absolute delight to share it. And I suppose what I would just say is that come on over, you know, come on over to this lane because it's really nice and really fun and life is good on this side and don't be
0: scared. I can totally say ditto to that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's the point. All of us on this side are going. Come on, come on. The water's fine. Come on in. And it really is. And that—that's the imitation. It's really great on this side. And you know, yes, it's good that we can both say this. I like it,
0: and we should be saying much more of it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Lovely.
0: Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have loved or liked this episode, then I would be deeply grateful if you would head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. My mission is to reach as many women as possible, menopausal midlife women who may be feeling alone and asking questions, why do I feel this way? Thriving Through Menopause is all about a community and our collective wisdom. You matter to me. Your feedback, opinions, and stories matter to me. And I would love to hear from you. So drop me an email, clarissa at clarissachristiansen.com. I genuinely want your feedback and your ideas on the topics that you would like to hear more of on this podcast. And if you are a woman who is, feels that they are struggling alone through menopause and you need more support, pop over to my website, Clarissachristiansen.com. You can find free resources and you can book a one to one discovery call with me. Let's start conversation. Thank you once again for listening.